but I just thought she looked like an astronaut and a rocket scientist into one, you know, it's like she was the coolest woman I knew. Hey everyone, welcome to my show, the New York Eye Dog Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Damaris Raimondi, aka at New York Eye Doc. And on my podcast, I have conversations with inspiring healthcare professionals that are meant to recharge you before you start your work week. It would mean a lot to me if you could take a moment right now to hit that subscribe button. Done? All right, let's get to today's guest. She completed her bachelor's at Pace University, and she was my classmate and friend. That's right, folks. We got another SUNYO class of 2015 optometrist in the house. And she has practiced in every type of setting imaginable, and she has a ton of real-world information to share with us. So without further ado, let's give it up for Dr. Sarah Hashmi. Yay! Hi, everyone. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited for this. So let's just let's just jump right into it before I say too much and give everything away. (laughs) And let's learn more about you. So we actually met nine years ago. But let's let's start from before then. Let's start from your childhood <laughs> growing <laughs> up w- did you like school i did it wasn't for the learning though i think i was just naturally good at it i don't know it always sounds like i'm tooting my own horn which i do not mean to do but it wasn't my struggle so i guess i liked it because it was easy and what was your favorite subject like let's say yeah in elementary school do you remember I think it was math. Everything always had an answer and it made sense. I always understood how to get to the answer. So I always really liked all types of math. That's deep math. I I love when little kids say that. I hear that every now and then. I feel like maybe in like my school, that wasn't, that wasn't like a favorite subject, but it's universal. It's beautiful. Nowadays, Mm -hmm. I feel like mm, the more kid patients I asked that question they're like oh no definitely not math really oh okay I hear the opposite side of it maybe it's the common core thing (laughs) oh maybe I don't know but it's usually between like the ages of six and ten they usually hate math at least where I am and we use a lot of math now too I had a math teacher once as a patient and she was like oh see you're doing it right and I'm like yeah I am <laughs> but absolutely so how did you first hear about optometry well I actually had an eye injury when I was four years old so we're going back to 1995 and uh, my mom was raking she didn't see me behind her So the pole or the handle behind the rake went right into my right eye. And I suffered what's called a hyphema, which is blood in the anterior chamber. So I was basically, you know, bleeding on the inside of the eye. I'm fine. The eye can see I'm not blind or anything. But it meant a lot of visits to my ophthalmologist, Dr. Tapper. I have to give her a shout out whenever I tell my optometry story. 
but uh, she was the coolest person. I had to see a lot of her even after the eye healed because of the way the anatomy changes in the eye. I was a glaucoma suspect, which means I have a higher chance of getting it because of the injury. So every time I saw her, I was like, I want to be what you are. And I have a an Asian mama. So she really encouraged the interest. And she was like, you know, I don't know if you really are interested in doing surgeries. And optometry is basically the same thing except without the surgery. So she kind of guided me into optometry. So I had basically decided when I was four years old that that's what I want to do. And at some point, one of my uncles, I think when I was nine years old, did become an optometrist, but I don't think he swayed me either to or away from it. I just knew that that's where I was going. So, you know, it was a long road, but I did finally get there. Your mind was already made up. Uh, What was the coolest thing that you remember from the visits? Was it the gadgets? Was it the drops? I think so. I think I really like the gadgets, the, you know, the slit lamp and the lenses she used to look into my eye came from this beautiful velvet box. And I was always mesmerized by how she like gracefully put on her, you know, whatever headpiece contraption back then. I didn't know that was the BIO or the binocular indirect ophthalmoscope that she was using to look into my eyes. But I just thought she looked like an astronaut and a rocket scientist into one, you know? It's like she was the coolest woman I knew. It's a really refined profession. And yeah, oh, you always hear that from the kids. It's a lot of, and the adults too. It's a lot of cool stuff that we get to handle. So that's how, you know, optometry is how we met. And as you told me, like, this is, we met nine years ago. Mm -hmm. And So I remember it a certain way. You know how people have different memories of events. Mm -hmm. I think ours is kind of the same. But if I could start about how I met you, um, you know, we're going to fast forward to 20 uh, August 2011. Yes. Was that it? Orientation. The very first day of orientation. And I remember it was a very hot day in August. It was in the middle of Ramadan. And I had just gotten off the train. I was so excited to know that SUNY optometry was like, it was on the same block as the train stop. So I got out, walked all the way up to the building and I went in. And to my surprise, I was not early. I love being on time and early. But when I showed up, our whole entire class of 2015 was already lined up in the foyer right (laughs) they were all lined up there and I was looking at I don't I think I was looking at my phone for the time like wait what everybody's here already and I got really shy I felt like I missed a memo and I was intimidated and I had no idea like who to talk to because everybody had already seemed all paired up and I saw you and I just immediately went to you and we started talking. But what do you remember about everything? And then I remember that we became friends. I'm glad you mm-hmm. told me that story. I do remember everyone being super punctual. Everyone was there early. And so I think by the time I got there, people were in their little clusters, which is totally intimidating. And I was fasting and I'm a quieter person as it is. So 
I was nervous and got in my head a little bit. So I was waiting for Mavra to come in. She's one of our friends. And we had spoken, I think she was the only person I had spoken to prior to orientation because we were going to potentially be roommates. And ultimately, that didn't pan out, but she wasn't there. So I was lost. I was like, unsure of who to talk to. And then who did I see when I looked up? But you coming straight at me. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm so glad that you approached me because who knows how long it would have taken for us to meet if you hadn't. Our class size was fairly small, to be fair, but it's hard once you make your initial friends to branch out of that, I think. And I was, like I said, I was so in my head. I was like, this is 16 years in the making and I'm finally here. I don't want to screw it up and I don't want my last first day at a new school to be, you know, a bad memory. And I tend to data dump events so I don't think I remember anything else about that day except for us becoming fast friends and going to our lockers and that's about it oh oh my gosh yeah no that first day it was this is your story so I'm gonna I was I already started writing a little memoir about it because I actually remember a lot about it but you have a good memory I mean I'm an only child you know like that's is that an only child thing I don't know, but it's for certainly for me, like, I just, I remember, like, the most random little things about people, like, uh, all these other things. I just, I just got me, you know? Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, no, we had that first day, and I'm glad we became friends. And I actually didn't talk to anyone else that day. I think I'm remembering now. I sat next to Shaista because her last name was V and my last name's R. Oh, but I didn't speak to her at all. And th- I think I was on the edge, like, of, of the row of seats. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't speak to anyone the whole time. But I was just like, I don't know. I was, like, totally out of my element. It was just different. Mm-hmm. And uh, my husband tells me now I'm really bad at circulating. So even at our wedding, I'm not – I wasn't going around to different people. I tend to cling to one person or one group and just talk to them. So I don't think I met enough people that day. Yeah, I didn't think about that. So I guess like if I had to redo that day over, I would I would just go up to more people and see what they're about. Exactly. What would you what would you do? I think so too. I think I would like to just introduce myself to more people. Because it was what less than 75 people, we definitely could have widened our friend group a little bit I mean I think our group was pretty tight-knit and I do love that because we had so much time together but it's always good to have a little bit of a friendship with you know everyone around you I know and we're all colleagues now yeah and honestly I feel like our friendship has I mean it's pretty solid even though we don't see each other in person so much anymore we have to make an effort to communicate, and I think that makes us stronger. I love it. And we have a lot in common, too, and we keep finding out more and more things. Yeah, of course. And we're growing up, and a lot of the adult and optometry-related experiences we have bring us closer together. Definitely. And, you know, we're not – we're young ODs, but we're not that young anymore. We're <laughs> pretty seasoned. We've been practicing now. 
for five years. And in some people's books, that means that we're experienced or something like that. (laughs) Definitely something like that. I definitely don't feel like a new grad anymore. I think we know a thing or two about how to navigate jobs and conversations with potential employers and patients too, just from the experience we've gained over the last couple of years. Yeah. And it's so important to like, you know, find a friend like within your, you know, your area that you're working in or just somebody else who's like this in the same position as you same year as you because I know I've like texted and called you about so many things that have happened in jobs over the years and you've been a treasure trove of wisdom. And I'm hoping that the listeners can get to hear some of that too. But I know that. So I know I always like go to you for like job advice for position advice. And I Mm -hmm. do recognize that it's different for everyone. But you know, if you could share with us, what are some things that you look for? Like when you're like looking at like a a new job listing or like, you know, scoping out a new possible position? What are like some things that are like nice green flags for you? Green flags? I saw Mm -hmm. that in a post that you recently made like that. (laughs) Yeah, because everything should be should have a positive twist, right? So mm-hmm. red flags we talk about all the time, but green flags, I like that. Um, the main thing that I think I tell younger colleagues or and in any profession that I meet is that you really need to value what you do and yourself, your time, your services, so that you don't take a pay cut, even though it might not be a big pay cut. It could be that you just feel like, okay, this job is giving me some things so I can make compromises on other things. I think women tend to do this a little bit more. And I've almost done it myself, you catch yourself. But if you're going for a job, then you should be paid what the average is in your area. And that's not too hard to find out, especially in our profession, but just asking around. And try not to compromise on anything that doesn't make you feel comfortable. Just making excuses for an employer, I feel like makes you get the short end of the stick. So that's definitely a big one. Um, And I wanted to share one story about a job that I took pretty much right out of school with Mm -hmm. a pretty prominent person in our little optometric community. I went in for the job interview and it was great. I really liked the, the owner and he was a fellow OD. So I thought that boded well, but as I was leaving, one of his employees ran to the door and she was like, Hey, so I know you're new to the area and I'm selling my apartment. So I'd like you to come by and maybe take a look at it so you can buy it from me if you like it. And she seemed very nice. So I did go over to her place afterward and she got very serious when I got there and she said, listen, I want you to know as woman to woman, this guy is really mean He will curse a lot. He will yell at you. It's just been that way for me for years. And I'm leaving this job because of it. And I wanted you to know so that, you know, you can figure out if you want to actually take this job. And I was very appreciative of 
that she shared that with me. But I did end up taking the job and she was absolutely right. I had wow. to have a really thick skin to survive the time that I was there. So I thought that was something that we owe it to each other when we're talking to our colleagues about a job that maybe somebody else is taking over from you or that you've heard things about. I think it's important to be honest about it, about your experience. You know, pay it forward. Yeah, and being transparent about your experiences too. You're right. There's definitely a way to do it. And it's, yeah, it's important to say how something is completely to somebody else. And what that also brings us into is that different jobs fit are different fits for different people. So even though like for someone it can be like a job from hell or the right person, that can be the right position. But as long as you're being completely open about like maybe what your experience was to someone else, then they can go ahead and make their own uh, Exactly. And they They can can make make that judgment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. You know, especially we're mostly women in optometry nowadays in our, you know, age group. So especially when it comes to to things like this, where it's potentially harmful to you personally and to you professionally, because this was a well-known doctor I couldn't say anything to my fellow optometrists about it without him potentially hearing about it this mm-hmm. is a little touchy you know it is yeah but it's a I small it's group yeah yeah exactly yeah and to add to your thing about like you know green positive flags to look out for mm-hmm. uh one other thing would be uh what I tell you know other friends and students too on the come up is that interviews are really the other way around you know you are really interviewing the the employer there's so many positions out there for us and we have to see if it's going to be the right place for us and our gut instinct if it's well informed is something that we should not ignore so like if you feel a little bit uncomfortable it's probably saying something so back to the green flags though during the interview what I've always found to be a really positive like kind of forecast of the future is when they're asking a lot about you and they're trying to get to know you because every now and then it can go the other way but if they're if you can kind of tell how how they care for their practice and how they care for their uh, employees, you know, when they try to like see what you're about. I agree with that completely. I know I said I like praised the concept of green flags and then I went totally negative. I apologize. That's not good. <laughs> but um, we're used to true. we're used to focusing on the red flags and we, we should bring them up too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're both important. But green flags, I think personally I love it when the staff the uh, I want to say the ancillary staff so not necessarily your fellow doctors but everyone else the technicians the people that are going to work with you as part of the healthcare team they need to have personalities that are on the same wavelength as yours some people get along with everyone and that's great but I've had issues with not quite being that friendly with people around me. And it wasn't my fault. It was just we weren't on the same wavelength. And that kind of makes the day not as enjoyable as it should be. You know, you shouldn't have to feel like, oh, no, now I have to deal with these people when I go. It should be pretty amicable. 
between the people you're going to have to work with every day. So definitely try to gauge the personalities of the people if you're able to meet them uh, that you're going to be working with all the time. That's so true. I feel like I've had a similar experience too in my first job. Maybe it wasn't like such an ideal situation, but all the techs and the scribes were incredible and they made the day go by that, you know, on the surface, it was like a day from hell. But, you know, because we all worked together as a team, it was great. And then, you know, they left <laughs> one by one. But that that's another story, too. That happens, right? Life happens. People leave. But, you know, you can just you're, you're not married to the place either. There's no such thing as indentured servitude in this country. So you can leave, too, if you really feel like the the environment's becoming not as pleasant as it used to be. And I tell my friends this who have issues with their current jobs. I recently left a position that was comfortable and that can be very tempting. You just feel like you've been at a place for, you know, so many months or years and you don't want to have to adapt to a new place, but that is definitely not a good enough reason to stay somewhere. That is so good. That is not a good enough reason to stay somewhere. That That is key. So so that our listeners get some more advice. I know I've, so I've come to you many times for, you know, some courage to build up some courage to give a re- notice of resignation. I have such a hard time doing that. So let's pretend like I'm me and then I'm all my listeners. Like what kind of advice? I want them to hear the advice that you gave me. So like, what advice would you give me? Like, oh my God, Sarah, I, you know, I'm not comfortable. I'm being told to do things that are, you know, putting my license in danger, but I'm just uncomfortable Mm -hmm. quitting. Uh, What do I do? Well, you said it yourself. You're putting your license in danger. There is absolutely nothing worth doing that. You know, people are able to play fast and loose with other people's professional licenses And they get comfortable with it because all of us are nice people. We are almost too nice. We become pushovers and we don't want to say anything that will stir the pot. So we let things slide. But it is just too important to allow yourself to be treaded on. You really have to put your foot down when it comes to things. And not just very serious things. Even if someone is pushing you too hard, is making you see too many patients, is stressing you out, is making you work extra hours and not necessarily compensating you fairly. They're all things where you have to say that's that's it. The line is drawn. You don't have to be mean about it. I did rage quit once and it was very cathartic, but not always the way to go. There's a nice way to say, hey, I don't think this is working out anymore. You don't owe them an explanation. I think depending on your contract, you may not even owe them two weeks notice. So it goes back to valuing yourself and what you have to offer. And you have to say, well, I'm the the thing of value here. So you either have to change your ways. This is not acceptable for me or I'm leaving. 
I don't think I've ever really thought about it that way. Like you said earlier on your first day of school, this is something that, you know, we all worked really hard for. And yeah, we do have to value it and not not take it for granted. That's so key. Yeah. And just because we work a job like everyone else around us and we need the paycheck or, you know, we're worried about our livelihoods does not mean that it's okay to make yourself uncomfortable or even put your your professional license on the line. Absolutely. And not to mention that tomorrow may not be. We actually saw this happen with COVID where things shut down and our lives as we know, knew it are completely different now. How's that this whole pandemic been like for you? So I actually left one of my jobs right as the pandemic began so we shut down pretty much a week after I I left the job so it was actually perfect I needed to take a little mental health break and so I was able to really figure out what I wanted to do and what made me happy because I was stuck in a loop of making excuses for my former employer and that got me thinking that maybe I was doing something wrong because I couldn't be happy in a position like that. It's actually very similar to some toxic relationships that people have. And COVID, even though it was pretty, I mean, it was a very dramatic way of getting a break. A lot of us were able to distance ourselves from our jobs and see what we are outside of that. So I was able to do a lot of creative things that I haven't done in a few years. I was writing a little bit, which I used to do when I was younger, but sometimes the creative juices flow better when you have a lot of extra time. And I was also cooking. I used to be a cooking aficionado when I was younger, but working all the time makes that a little difficult and paying for your own groceries rather than my parents. That changes things a little bit, but um, my husband and I were able to make a lot of things we like to order in, mostly, and we discovered that we're actually pretty talented at making gyros and pad thai and things we normally would have never attempted, so that was a lot of fun and, I think, necessary after getting out of a quote-unquote toxic relationship. What's been your new favorite quarantine meal that you learned how to make? I have been making Himalayan butter chicken almost every week since since March. I hope my husband does not hear this podcast because he'll be he'll be like, okay, like you should be making it every week too. <laughs> I, we we had it at our um, yeah, we had it at my Mandy. Uh, the The food that we had catered that day was from a Himalayan restaurant. That was delicious. I again, we asked. Was I there? Yes, you were there. You were in attendance. <laughs> I made it. And we actually, we've, we always loved Himalayan food, but after that day, we also thought it was kind of sentimental to have it. So we were going every single week, and then in during quarantine, they actually shut down the restaurant. So we had to figure out a way to survive. So we actually made it and we had to experiment a few times before we got it exactly right. But now we have it down. I got fried chicken. I got it right. Finally, I'm a new 
completely new beginner at cooking. And Fried I'm still messing up rice. Actually, really difficult. We <laughs> did. We went through a one week in quarantine where we made fried chicken like southern style Mm, like the kfc wait like the one where you Mm -hmm. put club soda in it yeah there was no club soda there was a lot of spices and i think an overnight buttermilk soak but it was a lot of work so we decided it was not worth repeating yeah that's definitely a lot of work but we got the time to do it so why not right did you make yours in a deep fryer no no please I don't have the right tools at all (laughs) I hate frying things I think during quarantine if somebody had come over to our house it would have smelled like food all the time oh I know we've all done so much cooking for sure and you know when you're cooking it's definitely a creative process and like you said it really gives you time to sit back and think about what you're making and what you want to make with your life it's a total metaphor Mm -hmm. so I hear something through the grapevine about you starting something and putting it out there would you like to share that with us yes so nothing has really culminated yet but it was in my five-year plan on graduation day that I wanted to open a private practice that's so exciting did you like Are you scoping out places or? Yes. So, so far we've spoken to a couple of consultants. I would highly recommend that from just the couple conversations that I've had with them. And we are trying to decide if we want to do a cold start or if there is a practice in our area that's willing to, you know, kind of hand over the reins. There are a lot of doctors who are retiring soon and they might be encouraged by because of COVID. So there is a chance that we find something that fits us. I say us, I'm not sure if anyone knows that my husband is also an optometrist. That's very helpful. But um, if we don't find anything that fits, then we'll have to start cold and we're okay with that too. Also, if I might add, your husband is also SUNY class of 2015 because that's where you met and that happens, right? (laughs) Yes, that is where we met. We got very, very lucky because I think the ratio was not in our favor. Men to women in our class, I think there was only a handful of men. Wait a minute. I I don't think I really know how it happened because I was in so much shock. That's what I do. I think that's an only child thing. If it is someone, please send me a comment. I was just in shock that it was happening. <laughs> so I wasn't processing it. And I was like, what? But yeah, you, you didn't process. No, that... I processed it like a month after the fact. <laughs> oh, okay. The well, I met my husband through a friend uh, who was his lab partner. And Oh, I don't know exactly what happened. We we went to the same undergrad, so we started talking about that. Mm-hmm. And then we were just friends for a couple of years before we started. Wait, that's not possible. It was only a year after. No. Yeah, it had to I don't remember the timeline, but he was in the back row and I was in the front row. So uh, at some point, things blossomed. That's how it happens. That's how the cookie crumbles, folks. So don't be surprised if you end up meeting Uh, the one. Yeah, I would not be surprised. That is the best place and the worst place. 
to get into a relationship because of well the proximity makes it likely the stress makes it questionable because you don't know if you're jumping into a relationship because of the stresses around you or if it's real ours happen to be real (laughs) oh oh I love that and yeah look at you guys now well I think it's the best place it's always nice when it's like you know a friend or a schoolmate I like it when it happens like that yeah and then we have so much in common because you know this is what we do all day you guys talk about it after work we do. I When we started dating, I mentioned that it might be a problem that we're going to be talking about eyes all day. And we tried not to for, I don't know, a month or so, but it's just natural that we're going to talk about our day and I don't mind it so much anymore. Oh, yeah. Sajid is like a little mini optometrist. He knows like plenty of things already. Yeah, <laughs> by him. association. Yeah, exactly. And you got to talk to your, you know, your life partner, you know? (laughs) Yeah, the significant other needs to crazy day or your patient that you couldn't quite figure out and give you a little feedback. I think it's bound to happen that he's going to pick up the lingo and know how to respond, (laughs) you know? Totally. And even though you guys have a lot of things alike, There's one thing you guys have different. Like you were saying, optometry is mainly female, but you get the unique like other side of it. You see how it is for, you know, a male in optometry. So going back to like you and, you know, being a woman in optometry, how has your experience been like in the field? Because, you know, once you're out working as a professional, have you have you felt like you had to like make yourself more known or have you not noticed it at all? in terms of as a doctor I do I do feel the difference it might be because I can come home and you tell my husband this is what happened and he will often say okay if you were a man that would not have happened to you and that applies to sometimes the way other doctors treat me or the way patients treat me there are times when a patient will refer to me by my first name and just insist on doing it that way whereas he can uh, work in the same place as me and be called Dr. Booz always by his, you know, professional title. And then uh, some other ophthalmologists can refer to me as, you know, Ms. Hashmi, whereas they'll talk to him and say Dr. Booz. And, and, you know, we're literally right next to each other. We're talking to the same Like they know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. So it's just it it's so glaringly obvious because we're you know we have exactly the same education, almost exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's we're we obviously have the same knowledge base, and I think I, I it's been a while since I worked with him in a clinic setting, but for the most part, we're giving you the same quality of care. So it's just interesting that things are are so different just being a woman definitely yeah you're so right about you know you guys having the exact same background pretty much that's I haven't thought of it that way but Mm -hmm. you know for a moment since he's around let's get a man's perspective on this (laughs) let's bring in Dr. Joseph Booz how are you I'm good. How's everything? We were in conversation with 
Dr. Sarah Hashmi, and now bringing you on. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. But if you could share with us some words of wisdom for, you know, men who are pursuing optometry, like there's not that many anymore. I'm not sure where the men are. You probably know better than me. But what what could you uh, tell them for them to like, you know, get some inspiration out of it? Well, I would say, you know, even not just optometry, but I would just shadow as much as possible. If like you're thinking of going into a profession, I definitely think we choose way too fast, like in high school and like in, in between college, you don't really know what you want to do. So you should really shadow as many professions and in, especially optometry you should definitely shadow as many different type of doctors and different modes of practices to know what you like and what you don't like. Cause if you, you really won't know what you're getting into that you're going to spend 30 years of, you know, 35 years doing this, you should really know what you want to do. And same thing with, you know, students who are in optometry school, you know, every, every doctor you you, you work with, well, you'll learn a little bit about yourself and a little bit about what your, what, how your practice is going to be. Cause you get a little bit of information from every single one. And that kind of is who you are afterward. And what's one thing that you would do differently if you would go back? That's a good question. If I went back, I would probably do a private practice externship if I was in optometry mm. school um, because I didn't do that one. I did basically everything else. So I would I would have done that because I never did do that. It's a time to learn. And I don't think I really like got that when I was there. I was instead trying to not make mistakes and being yeah. hard on myself. Right. But that was the time to make all the mistakes. And exactly. Yeah. Right. You yeah. want to experience as many things as possible. I, I probably would have done a little bit more externships outside, not done it so close to home. It's probably the only other thing I probably would have changed. But I, I, I enjoyed optometry school. I learned a lot. It was great. And you met Dr. Hashmi there, too. <laughs> right that too that that helped. <laughs> that helped a good amount oh my gosh well thank you so much for the cameo it was great having you and hopefully we'll see each other soon thank you all right i just wanted to add a little commentary on the go for it externship thing that you guys brought up i do think i i completely agree that it was the time to make mistakes but i think the way that we were graded I don't know if it's different now, but perhaps it should have been pass fail. So we would have been allowed to make those mistakes without feeling like the pressure. Oh my gosh, that is so true. You're right. Because that was the time like when we were, you know, it wasn't us signing our name. That's when we were supposed to, you know, mess up, supposed to learn more and, you know, be more be more like open, like, no, I didn't see that. Or I have no, I have no idea what you're talking about. Exactly. And that was the time when we learned the most being in clinic, actually speaking to patients and getting an idea of what types of problems people can come in with. That was really, I mean, we eventually do get that experience in the real world. But in order to feel comfortable with it, uh, we have to go through I don't know how many patients we see during school. I think there was a tally at some point, but all those patients, each and every one of them teach us something. And I think to really absorb and of that experience, we wouldn't have, we shouldn't have the extra pressure of, you know, pleasing whoever is our supervisor. Mm -hmm. I hear you, but you know, 
we're past that now, but hopefully the younger listeners can learn from this and advocate for themselves and you know, make it make it better. Well, from what I hear, uh, the optometry school experience and all that is getting a little bit better every year. Mm-hmm. And they are learning a lot. I know my husband always feels like we were overprepared. And that is a very good thing as a doctor. You know, we learned way more than what we are able to apply, especially in New York. Uh, Every state has a certain scope of practice. And given the amount of doctors that are in New York, we don't often use all the skills that we learn during school. But I think the more you learn, the better, the more prepared you are to face anything out there. That's so true. And if you could share with us some words of wisdom for women pursuing optometry. Optometry really lends itself to both having a very fulfilling professional career where you are a doctor. So you have like the highest level of education and also pursuing other things. So you can have a very well-rounded life and lifestyle. So try to figure out what it is that you want out of life other than your professional achievements. We got to be honest with ourselves and do some self-work and we'll all get there. Yeah. And it's not something that I think academia stresses maybe a little bit during undergraduate, but you really just have to pursue your own interests and try to fulfill your dreams and I think the great thing about optometry is that it's not too late after you get your degree to do that yes we can make it what we want we can make what we want with our career like I've said before I get to do this podcast and that's just another layer of things and people are like you know doing all sorts of things with the career and that's what it's never over it just continues to evolve Mm-hmm. And people are like onions, so nobody is an optometrist, period, nothing else. So it's definitely, I think, uh, more of a, a popular opinion these days anyway to explore all your layers and, you know, really become the person that you're capable of. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Dr. Hashmi. That was beautiful. And... If any part of this conversation resonated with you, do share this podcast with a friend. And I actually have a question for all of you listening this week. Me and Dr. Hashmi want to know, what's been your new favorite quarantine meal? Send me a voice message with the answer. The instructions on how to do that are in the show notes. And I might feature your answer in a future show. And it would also mean a lot to me if you could leave me a rating. I really love creating these episodes for you to enjoy. And the ratings help other people also find these inspirational episodes. So if you're on Apple Podcasts right now, click the three dots on the bottom right corner. Click go to show. Scroll down. And it would mean a lot to me if you can leave me a rating there. Thank you again so much for joining me, Dr. Hashmi. I'm looking forward to you know, speaking with you again. Maybe we'll do a part two. And until next time, let's say bye, everybody. Bye. Thank you for having me. Thank you, listeners.
hey, are you guys still listening? Yeah? All right. Because we're still going to be here because me and Sarah have a lot to catch up on. Um, Have you been watching? What is the show called? Indian Matchmaking? Indian Matchmaking. Yep. Obsessed. Yes. Oh, my God. It is the best thing to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) Those are real people being actually matchmaked. Who's your favorite? I Nadia, I think her name is the one oh, from New Jersey. She's, she's like the ultimate bachelorette. What? So what is going on with the new episodes? I'm like so confused. It doesn't seem like we're gonna get new episodes. It, if, if anything, I think they're gonna just do drop a season two. That's why oh. they left it so open. It was very open. I'm like, what? I'm so confused. I'm not what? about that life. The whole of open ended. No way. I want closure. Mm-hmm closure did we leave the podcast with closure you think i hope so yeah i think so i mean with with editing we'll do it Mm -hmm. but i really want to have a second job as a face reader ever since watching that episode i feel like i'd be good at it oh my gosh really that's so cool i have his name the the face reader's name like opened as a another tab like like i saved it as a tab on my on my phone really because I'm gonna find him one day. I'm gonna go back to India one day, you know, COVID or not. I'm gonna, I'm gonna In go Bombay, back. Bombay, right? Yeah, yeah. And he has like this cute little office. And I mean, I guess you need to know something <laughs> about astrology. I don't really know anything about that, but he really seems to know what he's talking about. The one time and the best time that I went to India, there was an astrologer in the hotel lobby in Agra, oh, and wow. I was ready. But Sajid was like, absolutely not. Isn't that mean? You know what? I feel like my family would have frowned on it too. He he doesn't put his foot down on like a lot of things. I don't know why I'm like putting him under the bus right now. But (laughs) some things I'm just like, whoa, okay. Yeah. (laughs) Because he lets me do anything. But like some things it's like "Mm, you cross the line there. I know. Well, they're (laughs) probably random like residual things. I kind of understand him better now because I'm getting that way. But I think my father used to say if you go to like a palm reader or something, then your prayers don't get answered for 40 days or something like that. So, you know, that's like ingrained in in me anyway. I don't know. I don't want that. That stuff's hard to forget. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. Oh, my gosh. Well, I love Aparna. I love her because mm-hmm. she says like Mm-mm. like a deal breaker is if someone doesn't know about the Bolivian salt flats. You know, and I'm like, yes, no, I agree with her. 100%. I totally agree with that. One. <laughs> that one. Like you got to know. Yeah, you got to know. And you know, I, I respect that she knows what she wants and she will accept nothing less. It's just that as her matchmaker, I mean. If I were her matchmaker, I would probably fire her because that's a really hard task. But I like her as a person. Um, wait a minute. Are we both under five foot three? Because that seemed to be the cutoff for like. Yeah, we are. I was wow. very sad to hear that. And yeah, also that's... happy that we're both married. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. So I got to tell you my matchmaking story, but I'll tell all the listeners this really quickly. So like I learned my husband, he's of Indian descent. So, you know, arranged marriages, it's it's just common. Right. And I actually think there's a form of arranged marriage in every culture. 
But, you know, that's just me saying it, like, from the outside. But so once I, like, got familiar with it and I just, like, knew about it. And when I was coming close to being of marriageable age, you know, I, like I said before, my parents are Peruvian. It was a little different, like, bringing in someone Indian into the mix. And my dad was initially, like, really opposed to it. And when we were starting to get serious talking about, like, you know, actually getting married and having it be a thing, my dad really put his foot down. And then I confronted him for, like, one of the first times in my life. And then I said, all right, let's do it your way. Why don't you? So you want, what do you want? You want me to marry a Peruvian man? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, all right. So you know what? I won't, I won't marry Sajid. Why don't you find me one? And he's like, okay. I'm like, all right. And like, we both stare at each other for like a beat. And I'm like, well, where is he? And my dad looked at me and he's like, oh my God. There's no one that you can marry Sajid. Like, the, <laughs> like we thought matchmaking was just going to be like, all right, a man's going to appear. And as soon as nobody appeared, we were like, whoa. It's not going to happen. But that, that was my matchmaking experience. That it was, wow. it didn't happen. I mean, I think that you really dodged a bullet there because I feel like if that same conversation happened in my house, there would be like a line out the door and then I would eventually be proven wrong. You would choose the one that has the most uh, miniature things. Like the guy that has like the the hundred little like clothes. Oh my god, that's who that's who the winner would be if I had to choose someone for you. Yeah, some someone who had like small things. Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> I I mean, a light out the door. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> no, yeah, me and my dad well, knew zero eligible people. That's the thing. I think my mom didn't know anybody, but. It was like the network within the the South Asian community is so large that somebody knows somebody else in a different city who has a son, who has a daughter, who has a cousin, who has, you know, like everyone knows each other. Mm-hmm. And eventually you end up with a list of bio data and you're yeah. like, okay, <laughs> I have to sort through this. And-, and then you would move somewhere else, like completely different possibly uproot your life i was ready to do that when i was 20 (gasps) years old you know i thought that was how it was gonna go thank god i didn't because turns out that would have been pretty against my core values but Mm. i just got lucky there oh you did and wait for our listeners where do you draw your background from my parents are from pakistan and my grandparents emigrated from India because Pakistan is actually a pretty young country. So before they declared independence, my family could draw their roots back to Hyderabad, which is in southern India. And you went there, right? I did. I, I finally think I remember. I got to visit in 2009, I believe. So I went most of my life not knowing where my family came from but it was a magical experience sort of like your india uh, excursion it was like oh my gosh everything i, I had dreamed it would be i really i still think in my 40s i'm gonna live in a flat there really 
Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm convinced. I want to if if I'm ever blessed enough to have kids, I want to spend like uh, have them go like maybe when they're in third grade, have them do school for a year over there and then come back. Wow. Yeah, school is really different over there from what I hear. It's Is it? It's very memorization based. Um I'm sure you have listeners who might disagree, but I am not an authority on this. It's just from what I've heard that everything is based on, you know, just learn the material. It's not about like internalizing it or, you know, really getting depth from it. It's more about just memorizing stuff. Yeah. Well, what's next for you? What are you doing later? Well, I am short term going to get some wings because I'm starving. You eat dinner late? I uh, well yeah I usually come home and have a little snack and then these days a couple miles before I you know have my real dinner. How's the spin journey going? Yeah, about that. <laughs> I really wanted it to work. I I still think it can, but I really need to fix my back. So if you know a chiropractor, let me know. Oh. But I, there's something wrong with it. It's just Wait, what's going on? What do you my feel? My lower back is pretty. I guess it got too tight, and I can't bend or even sleep properly. Oh, oh, I'm so sorry. It's like I. It's definitely related to probably being sedentary for so many months during COVID, and then suddenly doing like five miles on the spin bike. So I have to give it a rest. Oh, it could be your hip flexor acting up. Look at yeah. me. Yeah, <laughs> I I do. I googled. I've googled so many things, and I'm like, yeah, this seems like hip flexor being tightened by all the sitting I did, and then not stretching before exercising. So. Yeah, or acu. Maybe you can try acupuncture. Acupuncture. I haven't thought about that because I did that for. I've been doing that for a while for my allergies and for my exercise-induced asthma. Mm -hmm. And one time, like, I I haven't gone back since COVID, I mean, of course. But I used to go maybe, like, once every two months. And then I got tennis elbow all of a sudden. And I was like, this is uncomfortable. And then I told told my acupuncturist, like, hey, like, uh, this feels funny. And he just, like, boop, fixed it. Wow. Mm-hmm. See, I am so jealous that you're in the city because it's like you can get anything in New York. I haven't been I able, know, to but not anymore. Not, not anymore. Well, that's it's tough, but that's temporary. Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully, I'm gonna look up acupuncturists now. Yeah. Well, anything else that you wanted to add that we we didn't get to? Because there, there's so much, you know. So I know. I about. feel like I could talk for years about like parents and I don't know. Now that I'm you and I, well, are, like advice. Yeah. Oh yeah, you and I are about the age when I mean, I don't know. I feel like most people have children by this age, right? I don't know. Less yeah, so well, our generation. But what do you mean? Yeah. I think that now that we're waiting longer we're probably going to be kinder parents than previous generations Mm. just as a result of having more life experience but I could be totally wrong because I don't have any kids so (laughs) I know right I'm I'm often like finding myself with Sajid like 
we're we're watching the Full Metal Alchemist, this the enemy series right now, mm-hmm. and I'm like, it, we're like, is this what childless couples do? Like, <laughs> this is great. <laughs> yeah, I do love my freedom. Is Full Metal Alchemist on? Netflix? It's on Netflix. Yes. Okay. Yeah, That's we cool. we like it. We like it. But no, yeah, I I was looking at my parents' birth certificate, and their parents were pretty old when they had them. Oh, really? Yeah, they were like, one was in their 40s, one was in their 30s. And I'm like, oh, yeah, wow. good time. Yeah. And then I remembered that my parents were pretty old when they had me. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so they haven't really been asking. And actually, Sajid's parents have been so supportive and just incredible in, in all the ways. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, it it's just like, you know, shout out to my mother-in-law. She does listen to this podcast and she's really tactful. Mm -hmm. and just like really supportive about like you know what my choices are and she'll she doesn't even like mention it really she like gently like mentions it Mm -hmm. right like hey like don't forget about me that I want you know a grandchild okay but no but like no like no just like in a way that it's like hey but she has grandchildren right she does she does but so they don't maybe... have they don't have cousins and i i feel a little bad about that but she's never mentioned that okay yeah i mean shout out to my mother-in-law too because they do have a stereotype for being you know unpleasant but mine is also very friendly and oh, yeah, she does nudge me once in a while like okay grandchildren would be nice but she does it in a very nice way and she's not pressuring us at all oh that's so good we're blessed then it's good Mm -hmm. it's a good thing hashtag blessed oh all right yeah we we will take that out (laughs) i know (laughs) no i mean i know i'm like thinking like "Mm." oh well we'll see what we'll do with this Mm -hmm. all right well thank you again so much for doing this and now we're gonna sign off now it was so much fun i know do you want to know like a big podcast secret what i am under a blanket Oh wow! Under a blanket, the whole you have. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my god! Did you research what to do? I am under a blanket. I drank some hot water. I prepared. You rock! I tell Sajid all the time. That's my husband saying. I tell him all the time. Like all my podcast guests, like they prepare. Like Mm -hmm. they are. Like they. Um, I told you the writing thing because it's happened a few times, and I'm like, oh, like you don't have to write it, but. But people had mentioned that it made them, like, feel a lot better. Yeah. I would say, I mean, I thought you were being too nice when you said it because you were being, like, very polite. Like, you know, I'm just saying, like, sometimes I like to write. Like, you could just say, hey, maybe take some notes so that you're not floundering all over the place. Oh, no, not at all. I really did mean it in a nice way. Yeah. Well, you are a nice For person, sure. but oh. I think it was a good idea. I, re- I just took You do? Because mm-hmm. it's, I feel like it's actually 50-50, but like people who want to write notes don't necessarily know that they can. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like, I don't know, that's like the vibe I've gotten, but you know, it's always turned out good and this is going to turn out like way better than, Hopefully. than we thought. I think we're still going. Oh my God, wait, cut. Okay. <laughs> Let me just cut. Mm-hmm. Cut. Okay. <laughs>